Beyond the Wrench with Jay Ganinen from Wrenchway. Welcome back to Beyond the Wrench. My name is Jay Ganinen. Happy to have you here for another week. On this week's episode, we had a lot of fun. We had Krissa Hunlock, who's the service manager for California Truck Center's on to talk about her social media presence and really what she does for content, how she comes up with it, what made her comfortable being on camera in the first place. And Chris is just a really, really good time to talk with and and has a lot of great insight for building a network, which for those shops that are out there, I think it's really, really important for you to listen to this, understand what she's done in order, in order to get your message out there as well. For the technicians out there listening, I think it's really cool to hear what Chris went through, what she sees in terms of opportunities for content, because I think there's opportunities for technicians in helping your shops out as well. So a uh, really fun podcast, a lot of really, really good tips about how you get comfortable in that social landscape and and how you use it to benefit your unique situation. Now, before we get into the actual podcast, I did want to take some time to talk about the winner of our higher or lower game for last week, and that was Chris Langdon with a high score of 32. With that, Chris wins a $100 Amazon gift card, and that was brought to us by Wheeltime Network. If you haven't heard of them, they're a really, really good organization and and really do a lot for their members. Now, you can step up to a new standard of truck and coach repair. The Wheeltime Network is comprised of 16 independent member companies and 152 locations across the U.S. and Canada. Again, a really good group of people. And maybe if, if you're interested, you're on that, that truck side and looking at how you team up with a, a great organization, Wheeltime is just that. Go check them out. Unfortunately, Chris did not turn over the Queen of Hearts. So that pot rises yet again. I think this is an all-time record, $2,800. So whoever wins that weekly prize, uh, gets that high score on the, on the higher or lower game, has a shot at flipping the queen of hearts, and they will get $2,800. That is a lot of money, folks. So if you want a shot at that, make sure you go out to the Wrenchway app, answer the challenges, play the games, and have a shot at some pretty serious cash. Really looking forward to being able to give that away here soon. One last thing before we get into the podcast, to recognize the hard work an important role educators play in helping solve the technician shortage, Wrenchway is excited to announce the first annual Wrenchway Schools Week. The purpose of Wrenchway Schools Week is to highlight and celebrate all the great things schools are doing to help students find success in technician careers and beyond. We will be hosting an instructor roundtable, a student roundtable, and giving a live demo of our new top schools pages which are free pages to help schools attract more students to technician programs. Wrenchway Schools Week will take place on February 22nd through the 25th. And if you want to learn more about it, head out to wrenchway.com slash events to see a full list of events and sign up to attend for free. We're really excited about Wrenchway Schools Week. We've had a lot of really good feedback on this already. And it's going to be a lot of fun. We're going to bring everybody together and talk specifically about schools. And if you want to see that new top school functionality of the platform, it is really cool. I believe my business partner, Mark, is going to be doing a live demo on the top schools pages. And I'm really excited about it. I think it's an excellent way for schools, tech schools, to be able to really promote their programs, hopefully drive more people into the program, drive more industry support for those programs. If you're a school out there listening, I highly suggest you go out and check it out. Now I'll get out of the way and let you enjoy the podcast. Have a great week. On today's podcast, I'm really excited to welcome Krista Hunlock. And you're going to hear a lot about Krista's story uh, about her time in the industry. She's got a fascinating story and how she's kind of come up through the industry and, and through trucking and through some some paths that maybe aren't so traditional and just a, a, a really, really cool story. So, Krista, how are you doing today? Hey, Jay. Thanks for having me on here. I'm doing doing pretty well. The weather's nice out here in California today. Don't brag. It's I, I 
It is cold in Wisconsin right now. I'll just leave it at that. It's it's you've got the nice sunny California. We've got the cold Wisconsin, and uh, it uh, feels unfair at this point. Yeah. Well, I was just back there um, in Michigan. That's where I'm born and raised. So I was just back there uh, last week in between the holidays. So yeah, I got the snow. I actually thought we were going to be able to do a motorcycle ride with my brother and some friends because the weather was nice. But I forgot that's what the Midwest weather does. It tricks you, right? It lulls you. It does. And the snow dumps. So it is cruel. It is cruel. It'll be super nice one day and then just absolutely the opposite of that the next. And and yeah, that, that'll get your spirits down if you let it. I, I'm getting in the habit of trying to find more fun stuff to do in the winter since I can't move south. I've, I've got a four-year-old too, so it's getting more fun to go out and go sledding. And he signed up for ski lessons this year and all of that stuff. So try to embrace it rather than be negative, which I really, really have a tough time with. <laughs> I understand so let's let's talk about you for a minute. What what do you do? So currently, I am the service manager here at Central Coast Truck Center. This is a brand 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 new location. It's in fact the only large scale Freightliner dealership, and really, there's not too many really large scale dealerships anywhere on the West Coast. So out here on the you know Highway 101 or Highway One, California Truck Centers is a dealership family that this location is a part of. And Doug Howard, it's fourth generation family owned. And his wow. father, Gary, always had a dream of putting a, you know, a large scale dealership out here to serve the customers. So they broke ground. They built it from scratch. It's a beautiful, brand new facility that just opened in July. And I just joined this team in October. So almost 90 days, you know, in another week, <laughs> my 90 day mark. But yeah, I left my role with Daimler Trucks North America. Last role I held was a district parts manager. So it was a great time to be chasing parts right now with the supply chain crisis going on. But yeah, I just left my role in October and came out here to try to help, you know, be the first first kind of official service manager in this brand new location. And it comes with a lot of challenges, you know, brand new market. These guys were at a smaller location that California Truck Centers bought. So there's a lot of experience here, but trying to adapt to the dealership lifestyle, the sort of more corporate, but definitely more warranty, more by the book ways and bringing in processes. And so it's been cool. I get to bring, you know, some of that corporate knowledge that I've gained through my nine years with, well, eight and a half years with Daimler. I get to bring that in and try to fuse it to what's going on here. Yeah, I was going to say that it's, this isn't a new thing for you. You've been around the industry for a while now, right? Yep. Yep. Just shy of a decade. So I, like I said before, I'm from Michigan originally. I started with Detroit Diesel or Detroit as it's branded now. I always call it Detroit Diesel. I just can't help it. But um, <laughs> I, started, I started with Detroit working in the technical support call center. So some of your listeners, if they're at a Freightliner or a Detroit distributor, might have talked to me. I started back in 2012. I think it was September or so of 2012, taking phone calls from technicians to help walk them through when the troubleshooting wasn't giving them the answer that they couldn't find the answer, right? Couldn't find the primary field part based on the troubleshooting that Detroit had put out. They would call me and I would look over log files and their troubleshooting and, you know, sometimes go conference with the engineers themselves to figure out what the next direction is. And then I went from there to out to Portland to the Freightliner side. So did the same role, but took a promotion. So then I was supporting the chassis side and doing tech support and then also roadside assistance, you know, helping arrange breakdowns and really varied role there. And then I went into the field. So I was a field employee for the majority of my career, you know, a couple of years in the call centers and went out in the field and was a district service manager and then a field sales engineer. So I went from, you know, trucks that are broken And then I tried my hand at um, truck sales for the Detroit product. So getting to help spec the truck, work with the salesmen on, you know, the powertrain side was really cool to nerd out on, you know, what horsepower goes with what rear axle ratio and what about the fuel economy and what about the aerodynamics and the technology. And yeah, that was a really fun role. But then the pandemic hit and when the pandemic hit, I was a field employee and they basically, you know, grounded us and said, stay home. And I just couldn't do that. When you're wa- when you're watching the trucking industry in the limelight, you know, putting toilet paper back on the shelves. And it was really difficult for me to just sit by uh, and not be able to travel and not be able to really get involved and help. And so that was the first time that I left 
Daimler Truck North America, and I went to work for Chima Freightline, which is a fleet, about 500 truck fleet out of Sumner, Washington, and later California, so they just handle I-5. So wow. then I got to use my CDL, I have my Class A CDL that I got that field sales engineer role, because we were the ones out driving the trucks and, and training drivers to use the technology. But then I got to really use that CDL or really see how bad my backing skills were when I tried to be an actual, you know, working at the truck fleet. So... Yeah, I was with them for a little under a year, and then Daimler sold me back to do the district parts manager role, and then here we are today. So that's probably about as fast as I could summarize. Well, it's it's a cool background, and what I love about what you did is probably something similar to what I did in that I think you diversified your background a little bit, right? You got to really know different aspects of the business, and and I think that gives you a lot of knowledge that maybe not a lot of other people have. And I think it takes a, a, an openness and willingness to learn, especially when you get comfortable, right? When when there's a lot of folks that get comfortable in a job, are really good at it, and they just kind of want to stay put. But I think it takes maybe that little extra drive to say, okay, you know, even though I know this side, I'm going to go to something and challenge myself to something, you know, even though it's in the same industry, entirely different to be able to learn and, and really more well-round yourself as you're kind of going out and, and talking to people in industry. So I give you a lot of kudos for doing that because I think that that is so important to, to just have a well-rounded background in, in who you're talking with, right? And I think that gives you the most solid foundation you can have as you're kind of moving forward. Yeah, well, I appreciate it you know, recognizing that. And it's definitely not easy. I have people say that to me all the time, like, oh my God, aren't you scared? You won't know what you're doing. But yeah. I've never been a service manager before, you know, but, but I'm going to figure it out. And the more things or the more times that you realize you can figure things out, the more confidence you have, you know, to walk into the next role. And for some people, it just takes doing it that first time and going, oh, I'm okay. I can figure this out, you know, and do it. But a lot of my sort of moving around and trying new things is also born from having a really close, you know, relationship and partnership with the fleets and the customers that I got to know. And, you know, the dealerships too, and all the way around is their, you know, factory rep. I kept seeing here's where this issue keeps coming up. And, you know, when I was a district service manager, I kept seeing there's there's oftentimes a lack of driver training. We would have a truck into our shop, and I'm sure your listeners who are most technicians have seen that. You have a truck in your shop, chase your tail trying to figure out what the heck's wrong with it, just to find out the truck was doing what it's supposed to do and the driver just didn't know it. You know, and the new the more technology that we're putting on these trucks, like for example, the Detroit Intelligent Powertrain Management, that's where uh, you have press coasting. So it's all about fuel economy, which is what the EPA cares so much about too. And we're going to keep seeing iterations of technology like this, that if someone's not out there really pounding the pavement, training the driver, and not just training the fleet owner, when you give them the truck, right? It, that's that's not always enough to train the fleet owner. If the truck salesman is doing his best or her best to train the fleet owner, that's not only always going to get cascaded down to the person who's actually you know behind the steering wheel. And yeah, and then it can turn into trucks that are in the shop for two weeks and we're calling call centers and we're, you know, right, chasing our tail when really it's just a lack of training. So those kind of moments, those were what inspired me to say, well, I don't know how to spec a truck. I don't know what horsepower and rear axle ratio and fuel count. I don't know those things and I don't know how the technology works. So I'm going to go learn it. Right. And that's what, you know, inspired me to take that next role. And the same for, I don't know exactly how a truck fleet works, but I can tell you right in the middle of the pandemic, like I said before, Chima Freightline's number one uh, commodity that they move. Did I tell you this already? No. Food paper. <laughs> so, was it really? Literally. Yeah. You know, I'm, I was good friends with Harmon, you know, the owner of Chima Freightline after partnering with them as their factory rep. And yeah, they moved toilet paper. So it's pretty obvious too. I'm in the middle of a pandemic and saying, how can I get involved? And yeah, got to go be a part of actually literally putting toilet paper back on the shelves for the American public. So yeah. And it was leaving the shelves as fast as humanly possible. I mean, it I, that was always funny watching the news and just seeing how how rapidly people were going through it. <laughs> and who would have thought that would have been 
you know, that, that luxury, it wasn't water. <laughs> it wasn't, you know, what I went out and bought was a bunch of iodine tabs and things to clean, you know, I mean, go for the things that are important. But anyway, <laughs> whatever the commodity is, it's up to trucking to put it back on the shelf. And, yeah. you know, that was the first time I think the American public really felt that and realized that like, oh, empty shelves, what happens now? Well, that's why we all need to be doing our part to get more people interested in trucking. Yeah, if there's any if there's any positives to take out of the pandemic is I think it shined a light on the truly essential jobs and the 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 people that are truly essential to making this world go around and and I don't know that everybody had the credibility they should have prior to that, but I really feel like that light is shifting and that it's it's in a positive fashion, right? You see the people that really, really are making an impact. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I was just having a conversation this morning with someone, someone in the industry. I'm working with the organization called Next Generation, which I know you recently are, you know, making introductions as well. And, you know, they're doing a lot to get more kids and people in general, but kids and gen- kids specifically, you got to start there and get them interested in trucking. But yeah, the, any organization that can try to help just get more people involved and, you know, bringing home what we learned during the pandemic is pretty important. Well, and I think that's one, yes, total credit to Lindsay Trent for everything she's doing in, in with next generation trucking. But two, I think that really segues nicely into our topic for today, which is again, showing, showing off how cool, of an industry we have. Like, I don't think we talk about this enough. I don't think we, we understand it enough. It, it gets really, I think, lost in the day-to-day of everybody's lives that you're, you know, if you're in a shop and you see this stuff every day, you take for granted how cool it is. I mean, hopping in a, in a new Freightliner is like a spaceship, right? It's, it's, uh, it's really, really cool stuff. One thing that you do really well, and you've, I think, had kind of a framework or a path where you've you've kind of blown this up yourself, which is showing that off, showing off why it's a cool industry, showing off what it's like to be a woman in maybe a male dominated industry and doing it in a way that really paints a positive picture of the industry as a whole. I want to start with asking what drove that to start with? What was it that motivated you to become comfortable with posting stuff on social media or putting yourself out there as a whole? Sure. Yeah. And you're referring to my LinkedIn in particular. I mean, I've, in my personal life, I've been posting, you know, on social media for a whole lot of years, right? Just pictures and kind of discovered and and I, you know, got into a couple of hiking groups when I went out to the Pacific Northwest from Detroit, started hiking around like a kid in a candy shop and taking a lot of pictures and getting better at taking pictures and, you know, that kind of thing. And so started posting in some of those groups and I would get like thousands of likes and, you know, it's an interesting feeling where you're like, Oh man, it's cool. A lot of kudos, a lot of, and it kept me going. And it's always the question is, are you doing it for the likes? Are you doing it because you want, well, who cares, right? You're doing it to do it. And if that's what was inspiring me to get out there and hike more and go see more and take better pictures and, that's really the foundation I'd have to bring up, you know, and start with is that I I started in my personal life and doing it that way. And I realized, you know, you can connect a lot of people that way. I made a lot of friends from those hiking groups and having similar interests and shared interests. And, and that hiking group, the only reason I got into it was to get ideas for where to go. And so that clicked for me, we can do the same thing, right, with social media for the trucking industry. And what I've been saying for a whole lot of years to anyone who will listen is gone are the days of dealerships just fighting over technicians or even just brands fighting over technicians. You know, Freightliner can't just, Diamond Trucks North America can't just keep going to UTI saying, hey, we want all the technicians that come to UTI to come to our Finish First program and become Daimler Techs. That's not enough. We need more right? The bucket isn't full enough to even just be trying to fight over where the technicians are going to go. We need more. And so that's where I keep coming back to where are the commercials, you know, where are the Freightliner tattoos? You see Harley Davidson tattoos on people. I have a Detroit diesel tattoo, by the way. Nice. (laughs) That's where I'm from. And that's, you know, always going to be a part of me, but that's where I'm getting at is that 
the, the, it's a bigger idea than that. We need brand marketing for trucking. And we all in the industry and uh, even outside of the industry, but particularly in the industry, those of us who know, you ask anybody in the industry, they should already know, yeah, there's a tech shortage. Yes, there's a driver shortage. Now people in the general public are understanding there's a driver shortage. And then there's, you know, is there really or is there? But yes, there's a driver shortage. There's not enough people doing blue collar jobs. So that's all a long answer to say. It really did start by when I was in my district service manager role with Daimler, they said, we want to bring in what they're calling customer experience or CX, which the whole idea behind that is to instill empathy in all of the ranks of Daimler Trucks North America. So even if you're a finance person that sits in a cubicle and never gets to go out and never seen a truck, so a lot of people there have never even sat in a truck, let alone talk to a fleet owner or a driver or a dispatcher, you know, they don't understand. And in particular, if you're, let's say, a parts person and you clock out with, you know, one more in there, you just need to put a price on. You clock out at five o'clock and at 501, you could have put a price on that. And you don't know that that's actually going to down a truck. And then, you know, right, the COVID vaccine isn't going to make it to the, right? That stuff matters. Impact. Major impact. It's, you know, I always refer to it as the thread on the sweater. Like if we don't think that we're not all a part of pulling the thread on the sweater, you know, so to speak, we're, we're not paying attention. We all have a part of that. And so when they brought in CX, they brought in customer experience. They, of course, came to us field people and said, hey, you guys are the ones who are out there and understand the customers. Can you help us get this message back to our corporate folks? And so I volunteered and I said, yeah, the best way to do it is go and see. That's one of the, you know, lean principles was go and see. That is the best way. It was so eye-opening for me coming out of the call centers the first time that I went to a fleet, the first time that I went to a dealership, the first time that I was like, holy crap, this is how it really is here. You can't replace that with words. So that's why it's so important that I had someone bump in there. That's why it's so important that you go and see. So That is where I volunteered and I said, the best way for us to do this is that let me have people sign up and I will take them out into the field. And so I borrowed the Sprinter van and I, you know, the first one was eight people from our training and development team. And, you know, we went and visited a dealership and then a fleet. In fact, it was Chima Freightlines. We went and visited. And then I, that was my light bulb moment of, well, if we're going to do this, why not? I'll take a bunch of pictures of the day. And then I'll post it to LinkedIn and I'll put a blurb in there. Here's what we learned. Here's who went. Here's what we learned. To me, I was going to, that was winning, not just for me, but that was winning on so many levels. That was saying, okay, this go and see thing, this is great for us, these eight people and me in this little bubble for the day and maybe anyone they tell about it. So that was when I realized, you know, it can really be a win for everybody. Not only am I going to give a louder or, you know, more uh, public platform to what those eight people and I would learn that day or would see. But then the added benefit too is that some of our customers that might come across that post are going to go, oh, cool, Daimler Trucks is actually, you know, trying to instill empathy in their, what's this CX thing? What's this customer experience thing? And so, yeah, and then, you know, suppliers. And when you think about all the different people that can come across a LinkedIn post or any social media post, it can be very scary, you know, and it is. And when I'm doing my post, um, I have to read it a bunch of different ways. Like I'll read it like 10 times before I post it. I'll read it. Okay. If I was Daimler CEO, is there anything in here that might be construed right negatively on the company accidentally or something like that? If I'm a customer, if I'm me, if I'm, so it, it can be intimidating, but at the same time, what a powerful tool to not be taking advantage of. That's that's where it was born. And then I just kind of, I remember the moment, just like you said, that I just, I just decided completely on my own, I might get in trouble for this. <laughs> you know what I mean? I, I, I understood that. I was like, someday some post might get, you know, too, too viral or too much attention and might say the wrong, you know, I understand there is an inherent risk anytime you're going to post as a company person because every company has teams for that. They have people for that, that they hire for that. But I think it's, it has way more impact when it's coming directly from an employee. So I just ran with it from there. And I just, every single week for the last, I think it's about three years now, every single week I put a post up with, you know, 
10 pictures and maximum words. So, so this is something that I think is fascinating because in a field position, I was in a field position at one point. The beauty in that is that you get to see a bunch of different shops, right? You get to see a bunch of different places and the content comes easy. Now that you're in one single location, has that handcuffed you at all? Or are you still able to come up with consistent content that is compelling and not repetitive? And, you know, the, some of the some of the difficulties that you might have in a one location versus a, you know, going to 30 different locations. What have you found with your transition to that? So, I mean, you got to be careful about what you do take pictures of, right? And I'm, I'm one that I'll ask. Hey, is it okay if I take pictures in here? Hey, is it okay? You know, and especially if I'm in the dealership, you know, I have to be sensitive to if it's a customer truck or, you know, if it's out in the lot, that's public. And so I'm always kind of running those those checks. But, you know, so far since I've been here, I that's literally what I'm doing. It's like I'm a reporter and here's what I did this week. And that's a simple way of putting it. But then yeah, I've been doing it long enough now that I'm always trying to look for my hook or, you know, I'm trying to look for what is my impact to try to get more people to understand what it's like as a service manager or in the trucking industry or what I really want. The most ideal situation is that someone who's never considered the trucking industry sees me doing it. Maybe they're a woman as well. I know that I've got that going too. And they say, wow, if she's doing it, I can do it. Um, that would be awesome. That's like the most ideal state. And so in order to do that, it's, I can't think of a good analogy for it, but right, throw as many, open as many doors or windows as, as humanly possible, right? I was thinking of the machine gun. I was like, I don't want violence, right? <laughs> <laughs> I agree, just put it out there, right? So just keep posting, 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 and then quantity, you know, as long as there's quality in there too, quantity becomes the most important thing when it comes to social media. You can't just post once a quarter, no one cares. That's the whole thing about social media is it has to be living, breathing. I mean, and it's getting worse, I say, right? It is. As you guys know, you're you're doing a great job with TikTok. And I, you know, (laughs) when I heard you guys are on TikTok, I was like right over there. You have some great viral videos out there. And it's it who knows if you're going to who knows what your impact can be, right? But if you're not there, you know what your impact can be. It's zero. So that's kind of you know, and with TikTok and with Twitter, now it's right now. It's right now. It's not even like weekly, monthly blogs. That's old. That is old news. We want stuff that is living, breathing, up to date. If you posted it a month ago, I don't care. You know, it's that kind of thing. So I agree. And I think as it relates to those shop managers that are out there or the people that are you know, really in the day-to-day weeds, it can become almost like a thought that it's, you know, this is a nice to have. It would be good to get exposure to our shop, not only from the customer side, but really when we're trying to brand ourselves to technicians and show what it's like to work here. One of the things that I like to, to try and emphasize to folks is that when you're in trucking or automotive or equipment or motorcycles or whatever, we're so lucky in that we've got these content machines sitting right in front of us where it, it it's cool stuff. People are interested in this stuff. There's, you know, in the trucking industry, in the trucking world, there's shows that are hugely popular that are trucking based, right? And that shows you that there's interest out there that people, people want to learn more about it. And maybe not necessarily even that, that super young tech. I think we'd be shocked at, the amount of older people that have TikTok, and when I say older, older in their work career type of people that that are looking at what you're putting out there. And for you, I think the impact it has is huge in that I think you're you're setting yourself up to have one a lot of notoriety of who you are. You've got a brand presence out there. You personally And then when you're running a a dealership or you're a service manager at a dealership that you're able to use that brand power so that when somebody comes in to talk to you, it's like, hey, this is Krissa. I've I've followed her for the last three years and I love what she's doing. I think she's really cool. And 
I could see myself working for. I, I think there's so much impact in that. And I'm curious to hear your experience and and if that has presented itself yet. Yeah, it has. Maybe maybe not from a technician yet. But I've only yeah. been at, and, you know, LinkedIn, LinkedIn is definitely the professional platform, you know, where it's intended to be most of the time. So, you know, I, I've already been thinking that I'm eventually going to have to go, if I really wanted to have an impact for me personally right now, which is my technician, that I would have to go a different avenue like TikTok. But I'm nervous to do that because, again, you know, California Truck Center has a great team of people doing our social media marketing I and mean, they do a great job and it's a consistent brand across all the platforms. And so when I first came here, that was, that was you know, I'm like, okay, now that I'm here, my number one goal is to find technicians. And the way that I know how to do that is social media. And so I immediately sought out who's already doing this. Can I get a login? Am I stepping on toes? Can I make my own posts? I don't want to try to do their job for them. And yet a lot of times having that a real, they're all real people, but you know what I mean? Having a face instead of California truck centers or central truck centers, having Chris, a service manager posting is, is a different feel. And, you know, I definitely flex my social media skills or whatever you want to have, whatever you want to call it. When I was with Chima Freightline, because I was the director of driver engagement and training there. So it did fall under me and my team to recruit drivers and retain drivers. And so I got to do what I'm talking about, but have full autonomy. So, you know, I ran our Facebook page. I answered all the messages and all the comments. And, you know, I was trying to plug in. You remember when, who was it? It was like Wendy's and, you know, these name brands that get young people at the helm and then they're really sassy and it, it works. It's like, I want to go get Wendy's because they're hilarious on, on TikTok or Twitter. Who would have ever thought that? Like sitting in a boardroom, right? I mean, it just makes these old school marketing people lose their mind that it's that easy. It's because you have someone snarky that, you know, everyone thinks is hilarious and it actually does make an impact to people buying your brand. It's crazy. And so I, I have been thinking about that in this role and trying to figure out, you know, how I do that even outside of LinkedIn. But I, it was very, it was, it was, I remember the first time that I had someone come up to me and be like, Oh yeah, no, I follow you on LinkedIn. I know exactly all about you, you know, like it has happened. It not from the technician standpoint, like I said, yet, but certainly within the industry, there's a lot of people that, you know, I meet at truck shows or wherever that feel like they already fully know me because of seeing my posts every week. And I get a lot of direct messages from folks saying, keep doing what you're doing. You know, we love seeing it. We love hearing about it. And, you know, so there's a lot of support out there and there really has only been one time that someone at Daimler, you know, one of their marketing people said, hey, hey, take that one down. Yeah. And and I understood it was a gray line thing. But what I'm saying is after about three years doing it every week and having a lot of eyes, I mean, my posts are getting, because it shows you they're getting like 10,000 views or, you know, whatever. So in all that time, I've only had one time that somebody kind of slapped my wrist at ah too far, you know, but so that, that also goes to say it's pretty, it's doable, you know, it's possible. Yeah. And I, this is where I think marketing people have to come around a little bit on this too, is that so much of this and, and something that you hear a lot from the Gary V's of the world or like where we talk about it as well, where it's document, don't create, right. Document your journey, what you're doing. And, it resonates so well with people when people do it right when when it's when it's candid and, and when it's authentic it's real when it's that it just hits home with people so much more than a canned you know we, we a mistake we see a lot of times and i think this a lot of times comes from corporate america is one you got to get through all the legal teams and you got to do all this you know all the the I don't know, all the prep work to even get something out there. My brother's a financial advisor for a major company and they can't put anything out. And some of it's just because you're a financial advisor and you can't, you can't do that. But when they take a step back and look at it from the standpoint of if you are documenting and not trying to create stuff and just kind of showing who you are and people, people associate or they, they, they feel like they know you it makes the first conversation with people so much easier because it's not like, okay, I'm meeting Krista for the first time 
it's, hey, I've seen Chris out there for a long time. I'm a huge fan of what she does. And it, it you know, that might, might generate some curiosity. It might generate just some general likability on your part. Uh, you're, you're a very likable person. So I think having that out there is really, really important. So I, I, one, I commend you for pushing the envelope. I think that's really important. But two, getting marketing folks to come around on this, especially on the service side of the business is so important because if you're not authentic, I don't think, especially when it comes to technicians, that they necessarily believe the message that's being relayed, right? Yeah, that's always, well, and truck drivers sometimes even worse. Same. They, yeah. you know, and I don't know, I, I didn't see the statistics of turnover rate for truck drivers versus technicians. I think the truck driver is probably higher. The truck driver turned I mean, had a new job. And it was surprising to me how often, you know, I don't know from, because again, we talk about like, I, I am aware that a personal gain to what I do on social media because I get to build my own brand. Um, and I try to do so very ethically and with integrity. And, you know, I don't want to make it all about me. I'm the one posting it. So naturally, right, I'm going to gain from it. But I am used to, what you're saying, I'm used to like walking into a room or, you know, in my field roles with Daimler, sometimes just having Daimler on my shirt was enough that I walk in and people believe what I'm saying most of the time. But when I was with Chima, the drivers that were coming through and I'm telling them, Hey, we, we act like a family. We treat you guys fairly. We treat you with respect. We're going to pay you this. We're going to take care of you here. And there was so much like pushback and like, yeah, right. Whatever. And they always around, by the way, if you're a truck driver listening, you should work for Chima because they really do mean it. <laughs> I got to put that plug in there, but it's because of how they've been treated, right, uh, in the past. And I didn't realize how bad it's been for truck drivers and technicians both, you know, and other blue collar jobs, by the way, until they were really recognized for being essential. So yeah, I mean, all of that encompass. It's nice when someone already has seen my post and I don't have to earn their trust as you know as hard right and that groundwork is kind of already there and it's a bummer when i'm like oh wait but can't you go look through two years of my linkedin posts and then figure out who i am before we keep going you know that's also not fair so but but what i've done for myself as a person what we're talking about is can be done for a company too easily right i hope that i've had an impact on the brand for daimler detroit or you know now california truck centers and chima and you know i hope that i've what I've been doing has had as much of an impact for them as it has. I definitely hope that's true because I'm not going to work for a company that I don't feel that way about, you know? Yeah. And you said something there that really stuck out to me, which is something we see from our end, which is not every shop's a great shop, right? I, I think that the really challenging part for us in our industry, and for those of you that might not fall in that great shop category, but are trying to aspire to get there. Maybe you can't offer the benefits that you want yet, or there's you know some challenges with management. One, be patient. You can you can do it. You can build a, a really really good culture with really good people. But but also think about this from a technician's point of view. If they're at a shop right now that isn't a great shop to work at, and there's nobody out there showing the great shops off, they're going to think every shop is the exact same way that the shop that they're in. They're, they're going to think that's the same thing everywhere. And we're seeing it right now with veteran level technicians leaving the industry because they, they think, you know, maybe they've worked at two shops that are not treating people well. And they just think every shop is that way. But it's so fun to me when we see a technician get into a really good shop and how much that opens their eyes and how different their experience is. And, you know, it, it, it only takes one bad manager or two bad managers to ruin somebody's perception of the industry. And that's something we've got to work on as a whole. That's really the premise of the whole Wrenchway side in general was that we need, we need great shops to show themselves off so that people stay in the industry. They see that there are good places to work and places where, they treat their people with respect and integrity and don't lie to them or try to bluff, you know, and, and paint a different picture than what reality is. And so that is what I truly, truly love about what you're doing is you're showing maybe a different side to the industry. And 
maybe a new way of thinking in some regards that you do need to paint that picture and, and show them what it's all about. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I think it's just really important. I somewhat related and I hope it's okay that I mention her here, but I've been thinking about bringing it up a couple of times and it's a good opportunity. I just put a post up last night, my weekly post. I've been falling behind by the way, being a service. <laughs> it's hard. It's hard. <laughs> there are not enough hours in the day. That <laughs> So it, it does take time to do these posts. And so I have followed, but I just did one last night and it was, you know, in honor of last week when I was home in Detroit, I went over and, and visited, I asked Hammond who does the Detroit diesel plant tours. It was her last week with Detroit. She was retiring after 48 years and four months. And I reached out to her and I said, Hey, can I take you to lunch? And honestly, I thought she was going to say, Oh, sorry, I'm booked. Right. I thought, right. I thought there's no way that she's leaving. And, but because it was such a quiet week, I, I was able to take her to lunch and um, able, she was able to drive me around the plant. I don't know if we were supposed to be in there, but we both made the joke. What are they going to do? Fire us technically, but went in to get a quick picture before, you know, she was gone. And anyhow, when we were at lunch, it really meant a lot for me that she asked me the question. Now here's someone, here's a woman in the industry. And I can only imagine, and that's what my post is really about. I can only imagine what life was like for her working in a factory in the seventies. She started at Detroit Diesel as the only woman in 1974, the first and only woman working there. She didn't have a bathroom. I mean, she said she didn't even have a name because they called her other names for the first two years. So I can only imagine what she's been through. And I have nothing but respect for the fact that I know she blazed the trail that I can now walk down. Every woman that comes before in this male-dominated industry has blazed that trail, right? And so... That's really what that post was about and, you know, trying to pay homage to her as she goes and really, you know, looking at that. But when we were at lunch, it meant a lot to me that she asked me, how do you do it? And I was like, what do you, what do you mean? Like, how do you do it? And she goes, how do you keep changing jobs and feeling confident enough to go in there and kind of negotiate and tell them what you're worth and, you know, this or that. And it was, it was just, you know, to have her asking me a question like that. And it makes sense because she's been in the same, right? She's been doing what she's doing so so wonderfully for so long that she's never really had to do that to go out and negotiate. And that's where I want to call to attention, kind of in circle of what we're talking about. If you are not putting your own brand out there and advocating for yourself and, you know, telling people what you're doing and what you're doing great and what you care about and what your, you know, right. Core values are. And if you are not doing that, no one's going to do it for you. Right. And that is part and parcel of what we're talking about with, you know, being on LinkedIn and having your own brand, but it is absolutely true for companies, for service departments, for technicians, by the way, to learn how to advocate for themselves. It's really interesting for me in this role to now have technicians come in and, you know, try to negotiate with me and the ones who do it really well, I have respect for, and some of them are just really sheepish and, you know, same with truck drivers and technicians, guys, and I shouldn't be saying this in my role, but it, it's your game right now. <laughs> you know what I mean? You guys can go name your price within reason, right? We're all running businesses here, but I really hope that technicians and drivers continue to understand how important they are and to continue to advocate for what's fair, right? right. And so, yeah, from company standpoint, from personal standpoint, you got, there is a free tool out there and TikTok and LinkedIn and Facebook and whatever's going to have the most impact that people should be taking advantage of to, you know, kind of hone those skills and understand how to take, take credit. You know, that's what I, that's what I'm telling my advisors and my people here too. I'm like, did we take credit for what we did for that customer? Like, if you don't take credit and you don't point out like, Hey, just so you know, we stayed on the phone with this guy the next day or an ox sensor out here. And we, you know, pulled these strings and we did this. You don't have to brag. There's a different way of doing it just so that they know how much we care. And that there again, there again, is that if you don't take credit for it, they're not going to know. Right. And so. Yeah. It's, it's striking a fine balance between being a bragger or, you know, and then figuring out how to just communicate them across. Well, and uh, for me, I think technicians, when they're doing that, we oftentimes talk about a paradigm shift and in, in changing the way that the general public looks at us as technicians 
being able to show some of the technology behind the scenes and some of the stuff that goes into your jobs can't help but blow that door open because there are some extremely talented people in these shops and being able to maybe showcase what that is and that, you know, we're, we're big advocates of, of technicians producing content as well. And, and we love it when it's on our platform, but really anywhere being able to show how good they are because they are extremely talented people. And I said it before, but I truly believe this. We have really cool content that rolls in our shops every day. And if we can figure out different ways to, you know, get around some of the red tape that we we can't maybe go across this boundary. But at least if you know the rules ahead of time and what you can do and you re- you're respectful of that, I think you can put out some really cool content. And that kind of brings me to my my next question, which is how do you how do you decide what content to create? And this is more around the actual, like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to post this week and I need something. What goes through your brain in terms of what you're going to post next? Well, it's actually, I mean, it's the whole chicken. What came first, the chicken or the egg? It's usually the other way around. I have the idea before I make the post. So I definitely wouldn't recommend people are making posts just to make posts because that's where you're going to fail, right? But once you start doing it enough, I like without even trying, I'm like, oh, that would be a good post this week, right? Right now we're trying to work on doing a new method here for express assessment, which is our, you know, if the truck comes in with check engine light unscheduled, we want to be able to pull it right in, assess it, and then give them a call and let them know, hey, we, we think we can get to it or we can't. So that then they can make a business decision, right? And here's bringing in the customer empathy side. And so we're in a room and we're putting up flow charts and we're drawing things out and we're, you know, and so my head goes, I want to make a post about this, right? Because I'm going to be able to have great content. I have a picture. This stuff matters. It's good for California truck centers. It's good for me. It's good for the shop. It's, you know, it's good for customers. It's overall, it's good for Daimler. It's showing that this is something that Daimler wants. You know, those are, that's kind of the checklist that I go through, but it's just having a trained eye for this makes good content. And they can be simple too. Sometimes I've been trying to slow myself down and say, Hey, I could do more content if I'm not trying to put so many words and so much, I don't want to say so much thought, but just a picture of a cool truck. Like if Optimus Prime came here this week, you better believe I'm going to take a picture of it and I'm going to post it. And I might sometimes connect that to something like, Oh, it's really nice to see my old Daimler roots. And, you know, here's what I've learned that I've pulled from Daimler to here. I might connect it that way or I might just post it. That's what I'm trying to write start to do more quantity by having once a week more quality and then maybe you know twice a week just pictures of snapshots of what we're doing here so yeah it's it's the chicken or the egg I I think that you have to make the decision that you're going to do the post and then start look at other people who are successful at it and see how they're doing it and what the content is like and you know make notes of when you're reading it of like oh I really like this and then ask yourself why and then go replicate, right? That's that's all it is. I love that advice. That that is great, great stuff. And I I, I get the feeling that you're a creative person. Or, or in general, you're you're a creative person. What advice would you have for that shop manager that's out there that might not be so creative or creative minded? Is it finding another person that is creative to maybe take photos and do some posting, or is it maybe getting yourself to go outside of your comfort zone and doing something like that. Any advice for maybe that non-creative person that's out there listening? Uh, Yeah. And I was thinking that too, because I was going to say, do you know what I went to college for? I do, but uh, share it with our audience because it's not in this. (laughs) That's always my favorite thing to bring up, especially if I'm in high schools and trying to convince, you know, kids to, just because, I mean, there's nothing against it, but I went to college for music, um, for music performance, and then for creative writing. So yes, I have a, you know, right, maybe a, I don't know, a superpower, you know what I mean? Have maybe a little bit of a cheat in there. It's your wheelhouse. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, I turned that into building custom motorcycles and then into Detroit diesel, right? And doing diesel engines. So I use that as an example for, hey, you don't have to go get a bachelor's. It, you know, these are the blue collar trades you're probably going to end up in anyway, because you 
are like me and you come out and you go, oh, how do I make money with this creativity? That's the problem. In our society, we don't, there's not a paycheck that comes with creativity. But to answer your question, you know, what I have discovered is there is a formula to creativity. It's not just, oh, I'm creative and you're not. So how are you going to, no, there is a formula. And that's where I'm saying that just like diagnosing a vehicle, if your brain can think that way and mine can too, you can diagnose what makes this post a good post and how can I do the same thing? It really is that easy. You don't have to just go, oh, I'm not creative. I don't know how to do it. Try harder. (laughs) You can Um, just keep learning from the ones that have an impact on you or the ones that have an impact on other people. You know, the, the posts that you see that are viral or, you know, that's what I did. That's, you know, I learned in that hiking group that we started out talking about from other people. You know, like I said, I improved my photo skills from seeing other people's photos going, holy cow, look at that one. You know, and that one got 10,000 likes. Mine only got a thousand. That's, you know what I mean? It, that's the, clearly this is working for a lot of people. What did they do? And then I say, oh, they took it at sunset. Oh, they took it from over, you know, and that's what you do. You break it down and you, you know, understand how did they achieve this? And I can too. So don't think that just because you didn't, you know, aren't creative, that it's not something that you can tackle because you definitely can and making it authentic and really come from a place of here's what I care about and here's what we did this week. And here's how I'm going to treat you. If you come work in my shop or here's how we feel as a company, maybe that's your starting point is defining it, you know, defining what is our core value? What is our mission statement? What is our, you know, now I'm bringing in my Daimler corporate standpoint, but (laughs) it makes sense. It's not just the cheesy, you know, roll your eyes stuff that a lot of us, I think in this industry have treated that kind of thing as, there's a reason for it. And it's, that's what roots you in. This is my brand. And then what fits into that. And then you'll start to see it through the week. Like, Oh, this, this would be a good time to showcase the integrity that we have here, or this would be a good time to showcase, you know, that we're family run or that kind of thing. Right. Yeah. I, I really enjoyed that response because I think that that's what a lot of people need to hear. And the one other thing that I would ask then is how important do you think this is when, when I talk about creating content to, to promote not only your singular brand, but more of uh, your company's brand, the industry's brand. And the reason I ask the importance is I think there's a lot of times where a manager or a business We'll say, yeah, that's that's nice. We just don't have time. We're, you know, we're Krissa. We're running a new store and we're running our tails off just to keep up. We don't have time for that. How, give me an, a gauge of how important this is to to a company when it comes to recruiting technicians or just brand awareness in general. I will counter that question with a question that I think you'll know. Obviously, how far behind? And I know you you're not just trucking. I know you're all skewed mainly automotive, right? I have to remind myself that, but I'll just say trucking and maybe it's the same for automotive, but how far behind technology-wise, like computers and whatever, is the automotive industry compared to perhaps other industries? I think it's caught up a lot. The way that we always said it was that, gosh, automotive was in terms of transportation, technology-wise was probably... 10 years ahead of trucks and 20 years ahead of, of equipment, right? Like it was, it was, there's a pretty big gap. And then if you add other elements of technology into it up until recently, I would say it was, I mean, a huge, huge gap, but but now you're seeing EVs and you're seeing some stuff in the technology side of our space where it's really starting to, I think, close that gap. But that would be my answer is that, you know, just kind of the tiered out that way. But what about at the shop? Do you still see people handwriting ROs? We still see it. I think it's that's changed more in the last two to three years than it had in the 20 years prior to that, right? Like I I think the folks that were stuck with handwriting ROs are are starting to, and some of them are really passionate about that, right? Like they, they still, you know, it's the way they've always done it. That's the way they want to do it until they retire. And I don't know if you ever flip those people, but I think the the ones that have embraced it, I think they've caught up a lot in the last couple of years, probably still a long way to go. But yeah. I think we're in a really good spot. I think we've we've come a long way. 
Yeah, and I would agree with that answer, and that's why you know ask that first before I answer. You know how important is the posting and social media and et cetera. So I think we can all agree that you know our industry, especially compared to like an office setting or a, pretty far behind, catching up. But when it comes to technology, the way that we can light years, uh, <laughs> warp ourselves forward. I can't think of what I want. The way to cheat and get ahead really quickly without having to drag along the people who don't want to change like you're talking about. I still want to write my ROs by hand. I still want to print this, print that, right? So the way to get ahead as quick as possible is with social media. I think it is insanely important would be my answer. (laughs) I don't have a quantity for it. It is very, very important that every company, I don't care if you're a truck fleet, if you're a dealership, you need to have a presence online. If someone doesn't, I mean, when's the last time you went to a restaurant that wasn't on Yelp? Right. Forget about it. I'm not doing it. I used to travel, you know, exclusively for Daimler as a field person. And that's what I would do. I get to a town, Yelp, where am I going to go get lunch or dinner or whatever? Even Amazon, right? Amazon's changed changed the complete landscape of, of consumer goods. I go into a store now to get a spatula or something stupid. And I'm like, standing in the aisle looking at three of them, how do I pick one if I can't see the ratings? If I can't see the reviews, if I can't see it, it has changed and shifted the American public and I mean the whole world, but it has changed us so much that if we are asleep at the wheel again, uh, you know, I say that with love, but if our industry is just letting this go by us and we're not trying to get ahead, we're going to miss out. And there's already dealerships and places and, you know, we are the ones that need to find more people to be interested in trucking or in, you know, blue collar jobs in general to make it more universal for your listeners. But we are the ones that need to have more people interested in uh, the industry. And so we need to be the ones that are putting the industry in their face, you know, making sure that they can see it, that they know what it is. A lot of people, if you walked up and said, do you want to be a diesel technician? They can't see it. You know, well, they can go on my posts and they can see it. They can see a technician in my shop and what they look like. And they're not all beat up and, you know, busted knuckles. And so, yeah, I think making people or letting people see it is one of the most important things we need to be doing um, in general, not just to serve your need of finding technicians uh, or drivers or wherever it might be within your, you know, little corner of the universe, but universally for all of us, if there's not more people getting interested in blue, blue collar jobs, then we're all going to suffer. So this this conversation really got me fired up. Like I, I, I love everything we talked about. It is so on point, not just for trucking, but for anything in our industry and probably not even just our industry. I mean, that could be any business listening. There's so much good stuff there in terms of what you said the, your ability to put yourself out there, I, I think you just you knocked it out of the park with all of this content. It was really, really good. I am curious, one last question. What were you going to do with the music degree? I mean, I, I fancied myself to be a professional, you know, orchestra musician. Yeah, but then when I got close enough to it, I saw how impossible uh, it felt anyway to... You know, pretty much you have to wait for someone to like die to get their chair in one of these, you know, there's only so many important philharmonic chairs, you know, to go around. So that was where I had to do an assessment of how much do I really love this? And sometimes when you take something you love as a hobby and try to turn it into a job, it also backfires. Right. Yeah. So, yeah, I didn't really know, but I promise it was only like six months after graduating that I turned around and went, oh, how do I (laughs) And yeah, I actually went to UTI for a short period. Really? Yeah. So I went to UTI for MMI and then I went up to Seattle to Lake Washington Tech for their Harley Davidson program and then landed a job working um, in an independent shop for, you know, chopper legend Steg von Heinz and got really lucky and got to do the custom motorcycle bit, you know, for a while till they moved down to LA and that's when I went back to Detroit. So yeah. That's insane. it's a, it is a testament, and that's where I say I don't want to slam anyone who's going for a bachelor's, especially a creative 
you know, bachelors of arts, but it's definitely a cautionary ish tale that I'm still paying on. I'm still paying on my student loans. And, you know, had I just gone straight to a UTI or straight to a dealership or, you know, could have skipped out on that $30,000. So. Well, this is all, this is all fascinating stuff. We'll have to have you back on the podcast. I am, I, I would do a whole podcast on what your experience has been or was in a custom motorcycle shop building choppers because that that is fascinating to me and i'm more of a car guy love love old cars and love the hot rodders and all of that but uh, that custom fabrication and talk about talented people some insanely talented people but we'll we'll get you back on and, and catch up on some of this stuff at another time but Greatly appreciate you being on the show. You're an incredibly talented person, very well-rounded, and you brought so much value today. And I just can't can't thank you enough for, for taking some time out of your busy schedule to do this. Yeah, no, I really appreciate you inviting me. And that's a lot of compliments. I hope I can live up to them. <laughs> <laughs> you already have. You already have. So yeah. oh, Sorry, go ahead, Krissa. Oh, I just said everyone go check out the LinkedIn. Yeah. Check out the LinkedIn. I was I was just going to finish finish off with this is how do people get in touch with you and, and uh, follow what you're doing out in California? Sure. Yeah, you can just go find me on LinkedIn, you know, public, easy to find under Chris Hunlock and click follow and you can go to, you know, see all those posts that uh, library of posts I have for the last few years in there and feel free to send me a direct message. All right. Well, thank you so much. And I uh, can't wait for the next time. 